You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Terry Riley from the sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus's Talk on the Hill. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Understanding of what Christ is all about and what he's done, it really, cool is not the right word. And we're, gonna, we're talking about these Beatitudes. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the talk on the big hill. And these, these Beatitudes are his values for his kingdom. And as you begin to read them and to understand them, I don't know that you're going to go, Wow. That's cool. I think you're going to go, oh, God, I, I need some help. Each of these Beatitudes begins, each of the verses begins, the Beatitudes, they begin with the word blessed, or some translations say happy. It's the word makarios, and it simply means happy, joyful, fortunate, blissful. How many of us are experiencing that? The fullest meaning of the word is simply an inward centeredness, an inward contentedness that isn't necessarily affected by outward circumstances. So let's take a minute here. I want to just read Matthew chapter 5 and the first few verses. Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 1. Jesus, he saw the crowds. He was always cognizant and aware of the people around him in the crowds. And he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, the disciples came to him as well. Well, then he begins to teach them. And he says, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted, and blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth, or probably better translated, they'll inherit the land. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. These are the values of Jesus. These are the values of the kingdom that he's bringing. And they are so antithetical, cross-culture to our culture, if we really understand them. As a matter of fact, they're very paradoxical. I mean, imagine this. Counterculture, happy, blessed are the poor. Are you kidding me? Who wants to be poor? Happy and blessed are those who mourn. Who wants to mourn? But his pathway to happiness and success in our life, it's such a different path and such a different set of values from our culture that it really is counter-cultural. There's this progression that the Lord wants to take each one of us through as we make this decision to follow him in his ways. These here, this process of the Beatitudes are simply building blocks of blessedness for our lives. Uh, last week, you looked at poor in spirit. And you understood and probably talked about that really it's just simply that we understand that we're beggars in need of Jesus's touch. That we come to this realization that we all belong to this club called Sinners Anonymous. And that we get to stand up and we get to say, hi, I'm Terry, I'm a sinner. Wish I was something more than that, but that's the best you're going to get. 
And there's something about that, that poor in spirit that understands that, that God can begin to work in. This new life happens at this three-way stop where uh, our need for faith and repentance and our need for God come to this place of understanding. And when he talks about mourn, I, I got to tell you, it's really not all that cool <laughs> because it means I see my personal need for transformation and for change and to encounter the spirit of the living God. And can I tell you something? That's not easy. That's hard. It's not cool. It's difficult to really live this out. Because, see, God's not really in the home improvement or remodeling business of our lives. <laughs> you know what he's into? He's into demolition and reconstruction. That new life in Jesus means death to the old self. And that's not safe and cool. It's a dangerous to our pride. It's dangerous to our ego, to our self-will when we have to die because we know who we are and where we are in life. But it's the essence of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that literally he has the power to kill us back to life, to bring new life into us. We said, blessed are those who mourn. Mourn is the, uh, is, is the Greek word mentheo. It, there's nine different words in the Greek language that are used in the original language. This is the strongest word. It has this idea of a deep and heartfelt grief. It's as if someone is grieving over something that is someone that's died. And that's what he said, blessed are those who mourn. They feel it. Well, what are we supposed to have grief over? What are we supposed to mourn about? Really? Well, Jesus says it starts with understanding that who you are and you have poverty in your life. But secondly, that yourself. Mourn over yourself and who you are. Mourn for others. Mourn over the need for God's touch in your life. Before you discover new life, you first have to begin to see the hopelessness of your own life aside from God. And he says, you really want to be successful? You really want to begin to experience joy? Uh, that's where it's going to start. Jesus' call here is simply a summons to an attitude, an activity of repentance. Not self-satisfaction. How many of us can kind of live with that sense of, man, I'm just, I, hey, look at me. I'm together. I'm good. And he says, that's not what that has to do with. It's the ability to see ourselves as we are before a holy, living, gracious, creator, loving God. Now hear me. There's a lot of theology today that's kind of run full circle. When I first went into Christianity... Um, back in Noah's day, mentored by him, uh, they, they had this thing called worm theology. And he just said, you know, that, 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 that we're so bad, we're so bad, we're so bad. And this isn't what he's talking about in mourning. It's not about woe is me and worm theology because never forget God sees in it, but we have to recognize within ourselves that we are created as sons and daughters in the image of God. That's something pretty big. That's something pretty good. 
It's not self-flagellation where you have to beat yourself up emotionally and spiritually to get right with God. He's already made us right once we step into that. But there's this sense of wanting to continue it and keep it growing and moving forward. What it has to do with when he says, blessed are those who mourn, it's an, on, it's an honest inventory. It's an ongoing inventory of his life and his work within us. It's a wholesome, it's a healthy response to a holy God who desires ongoing work to take place in our hearts and our lives. Where there's this growth and this godly substance in the spiritual fabric of our life, our actions, and our attitudes. I used to preach about this all the time my first probably 10 years here. And people go, would you just quit talking about the inner life? But I got to tell you, it's really important. I want to flesh this out in a couple of stories in the Bible. Uh, if you got your Bible or a phone, whatever you use, uh, look at Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Here's really a classical story of what, being, what it means to mourn. It says, when Jesus came, whoops, wrong story. I better go over to uh, Luke chapter 18. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 9, it says, And when Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, see that self, self, trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and they looked on everyone else. He's talking to some Pharisees here. And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm, I'm not greedy. I'm not unrighteous. I'm not an adulterer. Or, or even like this tax collector over here. Lord, did you know that I fast twice a week? I give a tenth of everything that I have. But then Jesus moves to that guy over here, the tax collector, and he says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven. But he kept striking his chest and saying... God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I know who I am. Jesus says, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, Jesus in this story, he puts two men, he puts two people, he places them in juxtaposition. And the people that he was talking about today would have thought, yeah, yeah, that Pharisee, a religious leader, top dog, top shelf guy. He looks together. He has all the answers. He knows the Bible. And then he exposes him right there. He says, if you want to enter the kingdom, if you want to live out my values, this is what it looks like. So you got this tax collector who was ranked as a sinner, and you've got the Pharisees who were the religious leader. The tax collector was, con uh, tax collector was concerned about God. He called out to him. The Pharisee compared himself to the goodness of others, and the tax collector, he came begging, acknowledging his emptiness. And his sinfulness while the Pharisee came bragging and acknowledging his own goodness. The tax collector, he was trying to build a righteous heart. The Pharisee was burdened by an extremely religious heart. The tax collector, he was blessed by Jesus 
for his attitude of mourning and repentance and brokenness. The Pharisee was condemned for his pride and self-satisfaction. Why, why is this attitude so important? I, I think it's because most of us don't see it in ourselves. Well, let me rephrase that. Probably because I don't see it in myself. You're all so good. I just love looking at you, smiling at me, or sleeping with me, or whatever, but... A lot of times we don't recognize this. And the Lord can really only work in a moldable, humble heart. It's difficult, hear me loved ones, it's even difficult for Almighty God to penetrate a pride-stricken, rigid, religious heart. But it's where he comes to empty us and fill us with himself and his life. Uh, many can probably relate to the words, the unsettling words of Tim Hansel, a writer, when he said, you know what I'd like about $5 worth of God, please? Not, not enough to explode my soul, disturb my sleep, just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. Ecstasy, please. I'll pass on the transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not the struggle of new birth. In other words, let's be safe. Let's, let's be cool. But Jesus isn't safe. He's not safe, but he's unsettling to those who mourn. And he comes to turn things right side up in our life, loved ones. And it's a cooperative effort that we engage in with him. And he says, if you want to be blessed, if you want to really be happy... You need to mourn. I was talking to someone recently and I was noting <clears throat> in counseling the importance that a kingdom biblical truth is that God's work is always inward before it's outward. Now you can change. Humans do it just the opposite. We change the outward and a lot of times the inward doesn't change. But with God, it's always the inward where he starts. Because that's where the transformation begins to take place and work its way out. We focus on the outward because we want to manage our image. <clears throat> it has led us, Christians, Christ followers, that along the line somewhere, we see our Christianity as what we do rather than what we are becoming. There are things in life that bring to the surface attitudes and issues that reside deep within our heart. But you know what? Ultimately, they leak out. There are things that bring them to the surface. It's like we live in a world of whack-a-mole. When stuff is happening, it pops up. I'm going to move on from this probably real soon, but we see it in the election and the political season like never before. The lack of love, putting politics above biblical principles, becoming more and more convinced that that's what's important. And I want to tell you, I believe God is exposing American church and American Christianity for what it is.
we really do believe that America, America and Christianity is like dovetailed together. And that affects us in the way that we see and treat other people, parties, beliefs. And see, as the pressure has risen in these last few months, uh, layered on top of what has taken place with COVID and work and the economy, you know what we are? We're all really a bunch of like tubes. And right now, a lot of us are finding out what's in us because we're getting squeezed. And some of, and, 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 and you know, and I'm like this, you know, we can become so right that we, we can't even step back and see big picture stuff. I, I want to give you a few questions to help you just kind of do an inventory to see if your life is marked or has any mourning within it. If there's any sense of repentance and brokenness before the Lord, because I, that isn't just a one-time happening, loved ones. It's something that really should be happening ongoingly. Here's my first question. Are you selective with the Lord? Do you clutch on to an area of sin or an issue that the Lord is dealing with you on? Kind of goes something like this. The Lord speaks to you. I'm not talking about an audible voice, but there's a convicting presence of God's spirit once you begin to walk with him. And God will speak things to you and say, no, 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 we're not going to go this way. No, 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 don't say that. And how do you respond in those moments, in those times, in those seasons? Sure, Lord, that's fine. (laughs) <laughs> but, but I'm not, I'll deal with this, but, but I'm not real thrilled about that. I'd kind of rather hold on to that habit, that thinking process, that mindset. I'd rather stash it and not deal with it. And here's the deal with the Lord. You know what? We can do that. We can call the shots. Uh, just recently, I'm dealing with some inner stuff in my soul that uh, I haven't had to deal with for years. Have you ever noticed how so many things, again, the whack-a-mole syndrome, these things come up. And I was sitting before the Lord recently and, and going through and kind of charting my course for the teaching in this Beatitudes. And the Lord said, you've got an attitude that needs to change and be dealt with. And my first response is, come on, Lord, I'm just trying to do a little Bible study here. Just, you know, lighten the load. It's, you know, and he goes, that's exactly the problem. That's how you see it. Not as a big deal. And I started saying, okay, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I started just, you ever argue with the Lord? And so I started telling him, this is the reason why it's there, because of this, and because of this, and all these layers of stuff. And the Lord goes, okay. Now, this is kind of almost in nanoseconds. But the Lord says, okay, go ahead and keep it. But that will become toxic to your soul for years to come. I said, well, I'll tell you what, Lord, let's talk about it. You know what I mean? But here's what I had to do. I had to mourn. I had to go to my journal. I had to write it down and say, this is what I'm feeling, God, and this is wrong. And you're speaking to it right now. 
Here's the process. I'm not, I, I, this is what I had needed. I had to give it to the Lord, but I'm not through working through it. Let me tell you something. This whole morning thing, it's not like this magical bullet that just goes, yippee, yo, I'm done, move on. Because when there's deep things of the soul that God begins to point out, tap you on the shoulder with, wants you to deal with, sometimes it's a process and it's a journey. But you have to start the journey. Otherwise, there'll be no blessing and there'll be no happiness. And I said, Lord, I want to be blessed. I want to experience your blessing upon my life. And see, when I was arguing with the Lord, that wasn't a, that wasn't a mark of mourning. Mourning is simply repenting and acknowledging before God. God, what you say about this, this attitude, this idea, this, this thing that's within me, <clears throat> I recognize as this wrong and, and I grieve that it grieves your heart. It's ongoing. It's not a one-time event, loved ones. When you say, or I'll say, when, when I get to be selective with the Lord and hang on to things that he fingers, there's never an attitude of mourning. I lose in the end. That's what David said in Psalm 139. He said, Lord, would you search me? Would you know the fullness of who I am and where I am and let me in on what you see? Let me know if there's any hurtful way in me that I need to face and deal with. That's what David said. That is such a powerful way to live, loved ones. But then when God fingers it, when God speaks to it, he say, okay, Lord, let's get after it. And you're not selective. Are, are you sensitive to the Lord? Don't be selective, but are you sensitive to the Lord? When he taps you on the shoulder and he begins to bore in and maybe break up some of the hard ground of your spiritual life, do you readily respond? And do you walk toward him in his light? Or do you presume it's no big deal? I mean, you know, God's grace, he covers all of that. I mean, his word doesn't really mean that. I don't have to love them. Are you kidding me? I mean, God understands my weaknesses, and he does. Do you presume? Do you procrastinate? Put it off. Ah, mignon, I'll get to that later. Now, one of these days, Lord, I'll take care of that. But I'm going to enjoy it for now. Or maybe professional. You've been around the spiritual track a few times. You know the drill. You know the ways of God. But you no longer feel the need to be sensitive and responsive like you once were. You begin to function on the basis of spiritual rote over a relationship with the living Christ. You're just kind of willing to live with things and everything now. It's not a big deal. Isn't that kind of what we do at home? <clears throat> we have our relationships at home with our spouses. <clears throat> like at home, we make plans, but there's no passion. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have time together, but there's a little tenderness or care. We communicate, but say little. And, and see, that's kind of what happens with our Lord. We not only become somewhat selective, but we, we're no longer sensitive to him and his voice. Here's a, are you sincere before the Lord? Are you sincere when he speaks to you and you begin to mourn? It's a classic example of insincerity of an Old Testament king named Saul. You can read about it in Psalm, excuse me, in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
Saul's story is this very quickly. He's appointed the king of Israel because the people wanted a king like everybody else. So he becomes the king and like his first assignment, Samuel goes to him as a word from the Lord. The priest Samuel goes to him. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take on the enemy of God's people, the Amalekites. I want you to destroy them utterly. I don't want you to take any people. I don't want you to save any person. I don't want you to save any goods. I don't want you to take any spoils. Just destroy it utterly. Well, so Saul goes out, his first mission for God's people, and he goes out and he battles these people and he destroys just about everything. He kept King Agag, Agag as a trophy. He spared the best of the animals. He ends up coming back and uh, Samuel hears that they're returning victorious. And then he hears from somebody that, oh, King Saul's stopping. He wants to make a monument to himself. And then he shows up and there Samuel is and he's getting ready. The priest Samuel's getting ready to face off with him and probably ask him about how it all went. And, and, and Saul's first words are, blessed be the name of the Lord. We've done everything as he said. And Samuel's livid. And he says, serious? What's that bah I hear? What's the bleeding of sheep? What's the animals that I hear? And all of a sudden you see this sincerity just kind of bleed out or the insincerity bleeding out before Samuel with Saul. He says, man, Pastor Sammy, all the Lord, we, we, we did it all. And then he challenges him and then he quickly changes. He says, well, listen, Pastor, it was the people. They wanted the goods. And, and, and it wasn't just about them. Here's what they wanted to do. They wanted the goods so that they could do what? So they could go and they could worship God and they could offer these really pristine, perfect animals as sacrifices to God. And you don't see it, but it's there. Pastor Sammy, he's just frying. Because now he's trying to take his insincerity and turn it into a spiritual maneuver. Total image management. It's in this context that Samuel says, obedience to the Lord is better than sacrifice. He says, I'd much rather you mourn over your disobedience and take care of it than think that you're going to cover it because you're going to go to the altar and worship. And it's really the same things, loved ones. The principle is the same for our lives. See, sometimes we can kind of be really insincere with the Lord. And we can say, well, I know what the Bible says. I know what I shouldn't do. But man, I, I just, uh, you know, I want to do my own thing. And then when we're confronted, we'd rather manage our image than mourn our soul and ultimately lead us to happiness. Samuel had a problem with sincerity before the Lord. He said, I have sinned. I was afraid of the people. Forgive me so I can go and worship and honor me before the people. He says, listen, Sammy, would you go up so that I look good at the temple with you, that I have your covering? And Samuel says, no, no, no. It's between you and the Lord. See, we mourn loved ones when we love truth more than we love ourselves. We are sincere and we admit who we are and we begin to see God for who he is. 
Saul was upset. He was caught, but he wasn't sincerely mourning his disobedience. God desires a sincere heart. Did you know one of the seven deadly sins that the medieval church noted was the uh, sin of sloth? But it wasn't just about, to them, it wasn't just about laziness. It was about spiritual indifference. It is so deadly to become apathetic and never seek God. And just as importantly, never seek to be repentant and to mourn before him. Uh, I'm going to close and just talk quickly about the benefits of blessing and mourning. First of all, everyone in this room has a past. Some of it's a little darker. Some of it's a little more sordid. Some of it's a little more difficult than others. But every one of us has a past, even the best of us. Even the best person sitting in this room that maybe has never even stole a piece of gum Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none who is righteous. No, not one. See, we're all in this same club. Sinners Anonymous. And some of us would probably be able to identify, maybe even say, I know I've got, I've got baggage from my past that I'm carrying around. And you know what? It, it's, it, it can be really heavy at times. And it's because maybe you've never really processed it before the Lord. You never released it before the Lord. David said in Psalm 31, excuse me, 32, 1 through 5, he talks about his sin after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he says, I have the need for God. And he began to confess and to mourn his issues. He said, how blessed, how happy is the man whose sins are forgiven that the Lord does not charge with iniquity. How blessed, how happy. And that's where we can live, loved ones. A lot of us are carrying around stuff that we don't need to. David came before the Lord. And when he was carrying this weight, he said, it was drying out my bones. It was so hard to carry. He mourned it and he was broken by it. And he said, I I need to bring this before the Lord and experience forgiveness. Maybe you're here today. The Lord wants to say to you, it's covered. Maybe you need to mourn it, to give it to the Lord so that you can move on. Mourn it, get rid of it. Because that's what God does. What does he say? He says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. How do we get comforted? We get to know that Jesus forgives us. We can begin then to live in the present free of guilt with contentment. Our past is covered. Our present is always being taken care of. Do you know what one of the most uh, deliberating emotions is that people have? It's condemnation and guilt. And honestly, condemnation has its roots in hellish forces. When you've done wrong, when you've sinned, when you've fallen, when you haven't taken care of it, when you haven't mourned of it, that's where the enemy comes from the recesses of hell and he begins to tell you how bad you are. How could you? Who are you? We don't have to live that way. God comes and he says, I want to give you some conviction. I want you to feel. I know you want to argue with me and tell you this is why it happened. This is why you keep it. But I want to tell you the, the truth. I want you to mourn. I want you to repent. I want you to take care of it. 
Because when condemnation arrives at your doorstep and you don't mourn and deal with it, the Lord comes to your life. And he says, can I just convict you of that? Because condemnation makes you run from God. Conviction makes you run to God. And we mourn it, we release it, and then we're comforted. One of my favorite stories is about the great Penn State football coach for decades. His name was Joe Paterno, and he, he was always considered an incredible man of integrity and who cared deeply for his football players beyond football. He had to step down a number of years ago, five or six years ago now probably. He had to step down because of some scandal in his um, in the program there. He was like 90 years old, still coaching a major program. And it really wasn't tied to him, but there were some extenuating circumstances and he ended up having to step down. It was a very, very difficult time. He ended up dying uh, a short time later. But to show you how that man responded to his players, they were in this game that would have uh, probably propelled them to the national championship game. They had the ball and there was just seconds to play. They scored a touchdown to go ahead in the football game. And all of a sudden as they're celebrating, they turn around, there's a penalty flag on the field. The penalty was for 12 men on the field. The touchdown was called back. The game was over. One young man, instead of 11 on the field, there was a 12th person on the field. This short-circuited their ability to now go to the national championship game. Uh, this is before people were announced, you know, when they do it now, the penalty penalties on number 73, offsides, number 84, 12th man on the field. They didn't used to do this. Everybody thought that Paterno, because he was such an intense person, was going to come into the interview room. He was going to be upset, ticked off, and ranting. He comes in. You could see in his face his brokenness. And they say the first question, Coach Paterno, can you tell us who the player was? And he just looks at him. He stared down the media as only he could do. And he said, I have no intention of ever identifying who that young man was. He made a mistake. It cost us dearly, but it was a mistake. He said, right now, if you went into our locker room, you'd see him broken and apologizing before our team. And he says, there's not a chance in the world. I'm going to get done here, and I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to console him and tell him that he's an important part of this team, an important part of this program. And that's all I have to say, and he walked out. I heard that some years ago, and I've always thought, that's really what repentance is, is that this young man goes before his team and he says, I messed up. Sorry, forgive me. That's what we get to do before the Lord. But just as importantly, more importantly, I thought, isn't that how the Lord deals with us? Like Paterno, stare it down. It was wrong. But you know what? That's my boy. That's my girl. And I love him. And I'm going to care for him. And this is not going to be a life-altering mistake. And it's the same for you and I, loved ones. 
Those things only begin to alter our life when they become layered on our soul and we're not taking care of them, we're not facing them, we're not dealing with them. That's why there's this precious, delightful, delicious invitation by Jesus to simply come and say, you know what, all you gotta do is mourn a little bit, repent. Acknowledge it because then I can comfort you and oversee you, touch your life. Bless you.